Hello and welcome to Healthy Mind, Healthy Life with your host Avik. This podcast is all about exploring the latest research, sharing personal stories and providing personal tips for improving our mental health and well-being. Each episodes will be joined by experts in the field of mental health as well as individuals who have experienced the transformative power of a healthy mind firsthand. Together we will dive into a range of topics from managing stress and anxiety to building resilience and cultivating happiness. So, join us on this journey to discover new ways to take care of our minds, bodies and souls and let's work together to create a healthier, happier world one episode at a time. So, let's get started. Hello and welcome to Healthy Mind Healthy Life the podcast that explores the profound connection between mental well-being and overall quality of life. So I'm your host Avik and in each episode we bring you expert insights, inspiring stories and the practical strategies to help you cultivate a healthy mind and live a fulfilling life. So today we have a very special guest joining us Dr. Gina Simmons Snyder. So welcome to the show. Thank you Avik. I'm pleased to be here. Thanks for having me. Great. Great. Uh so also like uh, before we proceed I would like to um uh mention this to all of our listeners that uh, Dr. Gina is a licensed psychotherapist, certified coach and corporate trainer with over 25 years of experience. in helping individuals couples families and organizations navigate the anxiety anger stress and the conflicts so she is the author of the highly acclaimed book fragile brain so break free from anxiety anger and stress using advanced discoveries in neuropsychology it's a great it's a great thing and um, so also like uh, dr uh, dr snider as uh, uh, expertise lies in coping skills and uh, she is renowned for her ability to empower people in regulating difficult emotions and the conflicts so she is certified in neuroscience for uh, like clinicians through PESI and critical incident stress debrief debriefing through uh, national trauma services so not only is dr snider is a respected professional but her personal journey adds a unique perspective to her work so having grown up in a, a poverty and uh, faced numerous challenges she overcame adversity became a distinguished like alumna of her high school and dedicated her career to helping others transform their lives so on this episode we delve deep into a realm of coping skills exploring the practical strategies and advanced discoveries in neuropsychology that can break the chains of anxiety anger and stress so dr snider's uh, extensive knowledge and compassionate approach will provide you with valuable tools to navigate difficult emotions enhance your resilience and live a life of emotional well-being so get ready to unlock the secrets of a healthy mind and a thriving life as we embark on this enlightening conversation with dr gina simmons snider 
So thank you and welcome to the show, uh, Gina, Dr. Gina. Oh, thank you, Avik. That is just such a stunning uh, introduction. I hope I live up to the hype. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So, uh, so Dr. Gina, like um, before we uh, get deeper into this topic, like, uh, can you explain the role of neuropsychological uh, evaluations in um, understanding and uh, also characterizing the cognitive deficits and the dysfunctions in individuals with uh, mental health conditions? Well, the, what's interesting about looking at the neuropsychology of mental illness or mental health is, and, and this is the thing that excites me the most about this field, is that if you think about it, our brain is a living organism. It is not a fixed thing. Oh. It responds to our experiences our relationships, our environment, our internal thoughts, our internal dialogue also shape our brain chemistry. So it's it's a very empowering idea to get your mind around that you're no matter what you're feeling or no matter how much despair you might be suffering, your brain can adapt. And that is the way we're built. It is a living, living organism. So a lot of times I think when people get a mental health, a mental illness diagnosis, let's say you're diagnosed with bipolar or you're diagnosed with uh, major depression or uh, generalized anxiety, you get, you get a diagnosis from a doctor. A lot of times people feel like this is like a fixed um, stamp on your brain and it's because your brain is defective or it's because uh you know and now you just have to suffer right or um but but i do think if we can generate the hopeful understanding that our brain will flexibly respond to whatever um, uh, thoughts intentional behaviors and experiences we point ourselves towards. And that's how my book, Frazzle Brain, is, is divided. It's looking at how our thoughts actually can impact our hormones. Our thoughts can impact our nervous system arousal or relaxation. Mm -hmm. Our thoughts uh, can instantly uh, change chemistry. If we're just thinking about eating a lemon, for example, if you just think about eating a lemon, instantly most people, their mouth will start to salivate. And there's no lemon in the room, right? Or if you just think about a happy time in your life, mm. um, uh, often you will generate some of the experience internally in your body that you had during that happy time. So our thoughts, we can point intentionally and focus them as a coping skill. And one of the thoughts, I, I think the first thought is, I can learn to cope with this. I may not know how now to cope with this challenge, but I can learn. Mm. No, that that's 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 really great. So also, like, uh, how do neuropsychological uh, assessments differ from um, cognitive screening tests in terms of purpose, scope, and the ability to access specific cognitive domains? Well, there are different. Um, Purposes like usually when you go to a hmm. uh, get a neuropsych assessment, there might be different reasons for getting that. So I think a lot of it has to do with what is the in, 
you know, what was the referral for? So sometimes if people are demonstrating some kind of cognitive deficit, maybe it's a memory deficit or something, they might go to a neuropsychologist uh, or a neurologist even to determine if there is some um, something intruding in their brain um, to see, you know, so they might have a cognitive screening test to see how's your memory, how's your short-term memory, how's your long-term memory. And then if there is a deficit in that, um, they might be referred to rule out maybe something going on with your brain, like a brain tumor or uh, some kind of small stroke uh, event or uh, some other type of brain damage. Um, and then the nurse neuropsych exam, um, that could also be um, for the purpose of maybe looking at where a person's strengths are. For example, if you have attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, you might want to see a neuropsychologist to see like, where are my strengths and where are my deficits? So in that evaluation, a lot of times people with um, with uh, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, a lot of times those folks have a lot of strengths, but they just don't know what they are because they're getting so much criticism for their inattentiveness or their impulsivity or something like that. So a neuropsych test uh, might be very helpful in aiming them towards what, what type of treatment plan would be appropriate. So I think it starts with like, what are we trying to figure out? And then who's the best professional and what's the best track to take? And so usually a lot of doctors will start with the least expensive screening, you know, to see how, how somebody did on this particular cognitive exam. Uh, it might be a little bit of behavioral stuff too, that the doctor might have you do um, to see how, how your reflexes are responding or those sorts of things. And, um, and then for neuropsych exams that, that there might be a different purpose, you know, for those. Um, and so it does tend to go up the ladder of, um, um, intensity because some of these exams can you know take hours and some of them could be a quick screening. Um, so I, I think that there is a lot of controversy about, um, for example, Dr. Uh, uh, Amon's work um, where he uh, hasn't really completely um, scientifically proven that he can the correlation between certain types of behaviors and certain types of brain events. Um, so I think there is some, I mean, it would be really nice if all of us could just get a little test and it would tell us everything that's going on with our brain, but it's not quite that simple. Wow. That's lovely. So uh, yeah, great. And so in this context, like uh, in the context of mental health, uh, particularly severe conditions, um, so how does neuropsychology play a crucial role in uh, predicting outcomes and establishing the treatment plans? Well, like any diagnostic tool, um, we do have um, norms that we can look at based on research, right? We can say if, if this is your diagnosis um, and, you know, this is what the exam uh, reveals, um, then this might be the best, you know, treatment plan for you, but it's kind of based on, on norms and statistics. So each individual treatment plan actually might be different. A lot of times prognosis is based on, you know, pre 
premorbid conditions. So, for example, if someone had a um, a manic episode, a bipolar breakdown, let's say that, um, but pre pre breakdown, they're very high functioning. Um, a lot of times, the prognosis is let's try to get that person back to where they were before this episode, right? So, um, and then sometimes with with the neuropsych exam, if you're seeing some pretty extreme deficits in certain areas, there might be some medication that a psychiatrist, that's not my field, I'm not a psychiatrist, um, but there might be some um, uh, treatment plan or, or some medication that can help with whatever cognitive deficits are going on. Um, and then sometimes there are... Um, there are brain rehabilitation clinics too. So if somebody's had a stroke and they're trying to recover their brain health, um, those rehabilitation clinics are um, very, very helpful because again, the brain is this living organism that responds to our environment and it responds to uh, what we what we do. And often our brain also has ingenious ways of working around deficits. You know, if we build up strengths in other areas, uh, for example, I have I have had the privilege of having a couple of blind friends who um, have and they can see this sometimes in, in some people who have lost their vision, whether it's at birth or, or later on, um, that the, the brain will kind of grow into the visual motor system, you know, and they will develop really extraordinary hearing and really extraordinary um Sen uh, senses sensitivities with their other senses that help compensate for the loss of vision, and um, and that's kind of an extraordinary thing that the brain can adapt. You still can't see with your eyes, but there are a lot of ways to perceive um, that your brain adapts to. Okay. okay. So, uh, could you could you explain the unique patterns of neuropsychological functioning? Uh, that individuals with autism uh, spectrum disorder uh, exhibit across various domains. Well, I'm not an autism expert, so I don't know that I can talk uh, authoritatively about autism spectrum spectrum disorder. Um, and I do know that that it is so. Um, the research is so new right now, and and um, there. There's so much work. I what I do know a little bit. I have read about it. Um, it's not an exact science at this point. You know what causes autism spectrum disorder. Um, what treatments do work for autism spectrum disorder? Um, but I do think that this trend toward recognizing that some people are not neurotypical, and that those people can also and often do have strengths that we want to encourage and develop and um, help them to uh, learn because the brain can learn. They can learn social skills. They can learn. I certainly have worked with um, high functioning uh, people on the spectrum in relationship counseling, and I have seen them be able to learn how to behave in relationships that help preserve and strengthen and grow their relationships where they had maybe a, a social deficit, a social skills deficit growing up. 
along with uh, some sensory uh, sensitivities and so forth. Um, so I, I, again, that's, you know, I don't treat autism, so I don't feel qualified to, um, to talk about that. I can only talk about my own experience. Understood. Understood. So, um, so how can a comprehensive neuropsychological evaluation help individuals uh, master difficult emotions, elevate mood, and um, enhance overall well-being? Well, I don't think necessarily that a neuropsych eval can do all of that. I think a neuropsych evaluation or getting the testing done can give you information that then you have to like take some action on afterwards. It's not really a treatment. It's a it's a information gathering process to do a psych eval, a neuropsych eval. Um, but where it can, I think, help people is that information can be used by therapists like myself, um, psychiatrists who might be looking for a medical uh, treatment for some condition. Um, and um, and even coaches, you know, might find some of that information useful in terms of uh, really helping someone with develop their strengths more more fully. Um, I do think a lot of people with ADHD can find a lot of value in that because they can often learn, oh, that I am really smart. You know, I'm not stupid. Um, just because people, you know, maybe called me stupid because I was distracted or daydreaming or you know, um, not paying attention or whatever, uh, that doesn't mean I am stupid. And I do have some superpowers I can harness here for my life. So I do think it has value, but it doesn't provide treatment. You know, a neuropsych exam is not going to treat anything. Okay. Okay. So, um, like, uh, it's not about the uh, ASD, but uh, uh, is there any uh, practical tools or the methods or uh, testing protocols uh, used in neuropsychological uh, assessments for individuals with ASD? Uh, so, so if you can say, like, if there is any. Well, like I said, that's not my area of expertise. Um, I do know, you know, I, I, I have friends and colleagues who... Uh, work a lot with ASD and they um, a lot of times are looking at with the younger younger people on the spectrum it's a lot of behavioral um, training so um, uh, they might have uh, a behavioral assessment so they might have uh, an assessor look at how how are they behaving in the classroom how are they behaving in, in, in social interactions and then identify specific strengths and areas of growth and then um, behavioral training is often a reward and punishment thing, right? So it's um, uh, giving you, giving the person rewards for, um, uh, you know, approaching the behavior that they're trying to see changed and then uh, removing a reinforcement or removing a reward if the behavior is um, problematic, Right. So sometimes um, people on the spectrum might bang their head. Right. They have to wear a helmet and they might want to as a self-soothing strategy, they bang their head against the wall and then they get big old you know, injuries from it. So um, so they want to behaviorally train that person, that child to no longer bang their head. Right. Because um, that could that's, first of all, socially very um, 
unappealing. And it's also a problematic behavior uh, for their health, for their overall health. So, so those are the kind of things you might do with someone um, uh, on the spectrum disorder. But again, I can't really speak to um, the full neuropsych uh, approach on ASD. It's just not my area of expertise. I'm not a neuropsychologist. I'm a psychotherapist, uh, and I've done a uh, training in neuropsychology. Uh, postdoc. Um, so, um, but I'm not a, a, an autism spectrum disorder expert. Understood. Understood. So, um, okay. So, because this this, this question was also about the uh, neuropsychology, um, it's it's a bit different. Like uh, in the field of uh, neuropsychology, uh, what are the potential applications of using? uh ai powered uh, generators that can uh drive uh, or create diverse and engaging uh things or the questions for assessments uh educational purposes anything well i think that's that's an exploding brand new field right i do think there um there's going to be a big explosion in you know, AI, um, and uh, there are probably really practical uses for um, using AI to um, provide, uh, you can reach a lot more people if online, they can just go online and do an assessment and you might not need a um, psychologist there, it might be a lot less expensive. Um, so there might be some really practical good uh, applications for that. At this point, I'm like, I'm not an AI expert. Um, so I, you know, but I, I'm curious, like all of us are about how that's going to change all of the work that everyone does, you know? So I think we're at, at the really beginnings of all of that. But, but how do you think, like, uh, how AI, uh, can emotionally change these things? Because, for a psychologist, it it's uh, all about emotional connection, just to understand that person. But how uh, this AI can uh, transform this? Do you believe it is possible, or uh, if possible, like then how much percentage can be done? How much percentage it cannot be done? So, what do you think? Well, I I I see how people have become attached to machines, you know, I mean, with the advent of television, for example, people have relationships with fictional characters that are very emotionally meaningful to them that, and the fictional characters that we watch on television do not um, talk to us, <laughs> you know? And so then the, the, the emotional attachment to celebrities, right. Who still is not an interactive thing. Right. A lot of people have conversations with Siri, you know, um, and have fun having conversations with Siri. I have, I, 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 um, I, I know my husband and his his friend. They go on long bike trips um, uh, over several days, where they'll they'll ride, you know, sixty miles a day or something, and um, and they'll have conversations with the walk. Uh, you know, the traffic thing and they'll they'll just make up jokes where the the word walk is in there or don't walk or stop. Um, so so people humans interact with machines and imbue them with human characteristics. So we project onto our our phone 
you know, we have a relationship with our phone and a lot of people are very uh, hooked on that. They are very um, hooked on getting this feedback from from friends on social media and strangers. And sometimes we don't know if those strangers are bots or, or you know, some kind of AI generated thing right now. So I think that because humans and humans will project onto animals, you know, human emotions that are very complex, you know, um, that might not actually be coming from the animal um, itself. Um, it might be our projection onto that animal, our own feelings, our own thoughts, our own humanity. Um, so I think that that's already occurring with the computers and machines that we relate to now. Um, people form attachments to their cars that are deeply emotional, you know? So I, I think when, when we add intelligence to that, that's only going to intensify the likelihood that humans are going to form emotional attachments to robots and many already are doing that. Um, so I think the jury is out about how much of that is going to be unhealthy for society, how much of that is going to be healthy. And I think like all technologies, there's danger and benefit. Um, we certainly have seen, um, I was just at a conference, the Active Minds Mental Health Conference in uh, Washington, D.C., um, couple weeks ago, and um, one of the uh, presenters talked about the, the uh, mental health crisis going on and how the increase of suicide attempts in young people, and especially young people of color or LGBTQ people or women, um, the increase in um, the, the suicide attempt rate corresponds to the increase in uh, numbers of Instagram users. The graph looks identical, you know, as the growth of Instagram started, um, the growth of, of mental health crisis um, took off. Now we had other things happening. We had the COVID pandemic and, and all these things happening, but you can see even pre-pandemic um, as Instagram use increase so does um, mental health uh, problems. So I think there is a reasonable concern that we're going to see as we become less attached to real humans in real life and more attached. Um, the, the other the other data that came out of this conference was that because a lot of AI generated, um, influencers now are, are is increasing that girls in particular found that that was associated with a higher level of depression when they're looking at AI generated bodies and you know perfect faces that are generated by a, a computer um, influencing them that it, it created even more of a feeling of depression anxiety distress so I don't think it's going to be good for our mental health to become alienated from real humans in real life. Um, and I think that's, we do, we already have some evidence that that's going to be harmful. Um, but I also think that if people can develop habits and 
the same thing I, I tell all my clients is, you know, give yourself a vacation mm. from technology. You just need to really give yourself breaks from that and be in the real world in nature with real people, real living things. And it is has a soothing uh, component and it's better for your mental health. And we already have data on that. Exactly. Exactly true. No, this is this is very much uh, required. Um, uh, and uh, nowadays, it's it's very common that we are mostly in front of our systems. We are mostly uh, uh, doing something um, either either over on a phone or iPads or laptop. But yes, we should always definitely uh, give some break from this, and um, that's true. So uh, the thing is like how can uh this, this thing is also coming to my mind like how can a random uh question generator uh can be utilized for icebreakers or uh conversation starters in neuropsychology workshops or uh the therapy sessions as well uh because the way uh, uh the days are going on and uh, day by day we are getting into uh like a technology thing uh, digital era. So, so how do you think? Like yeah, well, I, I think, you know, you're on to something there. I mean, I think a lot of us are, are looking at what is useful, right? What is useful? I know people are using AI to um, more efficiently write friendlier emails, right? Um, a lot of people have been using software like Grammarly and Scrivener and things like that, that that can assess the tone of your communication. So um, what kind of, are you using kinder words? Are you using words that have uh, um, a soothing impact or, you know, what's the tone of your of your message? And it can make our, our communication more efficient, but it can, yeah, it could generate uh, conversation icebreakers, uh, can be great for idea generation, for creativity. Um, it can be really great for organizing graphs and, and information, right? If you have uh, a bunch of information in an article and you want it organized into a quick four by four graph or, you know, something like that. Um, so I think there's many, many ways that AI is going to be very helpful and useful. Um, I, I do think that it is predictable, though, that if people... Um, become more alienated from nature, more alienated from other humans, that is um, predictable that it will be uh, bad for our mental health. Well, and our physical health too, if we're not physically active and things like that. But I think AI could be great for, you know, gamifying your exercise or, um, you know, uh, or yeah, if you feel socially awkward at parties, you know, what are some great ways to talk to people? And they can give you some great ideas. Right. Um, so I, I, I don't think it's all evil like any technology. Right. I remember reading um, in history books about the uh, as the as the automobile, you know, started to take over from the horse drawn carriage um, and horseback riding. Um, you know, there are all these things about how terrible these things are and they're noisy and they smell bad and um, they don't even go as fast and, you know, they break down and um, it's just going to be terrible, the end of civilization. And so we have adapted to cars and they, yes, they have brought a lot of problems, but they've also made the world smaller and helped us connect more. And um, so I think that's what we're going to see 
predictably with with more and more um, use of AI and 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 all the different applications. Um, but I think the dangers are there. Certainly, I mean, when you have the the leaders coming out and saying, you know, this this is this could really be problematic. We need to have safeguards and controls. We need to pay attention to that. We really do. Exactly. So before before we wrap up, like um, uh, one last thing, like what role can AI powered generators play in uh, facilitating the uh, discussion and enhancing the knowledge exchange among professionals in the field of neuropsychology? Well, that's really great because I mean, if it if it can accurately aggregate research and you could go into and I mean the key is is it accurate, right? If can it have screening for for really good data? Um, yes, if you could ask a question and um, get a better result than Google and maybe even have a narrative that 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 spits out pretty quickly. I know um, a lot of technology is very helpful for medicine, right? Where a doctor can look up diagnoses and very quickly on their on their cell phone um, get things, you know, tests that you should be doing, and you know, ruling out different conditions and with these symptoms. and And I think it's you know it's improving how medicine is delivered too. And I, I certainly think it can improve the way mental health is delivered and maybe even expanding mental health. I I do think that the early data leans towards the idea that AI AI shouldn't shouldn't substitute for the therapist relationship. Um, because I do, you know, one of the things that when we look at a therapeutic effectiveness over time, um, that the number one thing that the, that's the most effective is the therapeutic relationship. It's not the techniques that therapist is using. So you could go to a cognitive behavioral therapist or a dialectical behavioral therapist or a psychoanalytic therapist or, you know, many different kinds of therapists who use different techniques in their work. And it's not the techniques that are the magic. It's the relationship and the trust that is formed and the way that the therapist can encourage the client or the patient to improve their lives. And I don't think that AI trying to substitute, you know, some kind of AI conversation. I know there there have been, um, there's a lot of those, you know, therapeutic uh, computer models that um, ha they hit a wall. They hit a wall because people don't feel really understood by a machine. Yeah, yeah. That's true. That's true. So, uh, yeah. So thank you for joining in this uh, episode uh, filled with insightful discussions and the valuable information. Um, so I hope I hope like uh, people have find it like engaging and thought provoking. So as we wrap up, uh, we would like to express our gratitude to our loyal listeners who have been with us till the very end. Uh, your support and dedication means the world to us. Definitely. So if you have enjoyed this episode and found value in the discussions, we encourage you to show your support in a few different ways. So first, 
uh, we would like to express our heartfelt appreciation for your continued listenerships and your presence and engagement motivate us to keep creating valuable content so additionally we would love to hear your thoughts and the feedback feel free to leave a review or rating for your uh, preferred on your preferred uh, podcast platform moreover if you want to stay updated with our latest episodes and receive additional resources related to neuropsychology and emotional well-being we invite you to visit the website i'll definitely uh, mention this in the uh, uh, show notes so that it will be easier for you uh, there you can join and also we'll encourage you to connect with us on social media follow us on instagram uh, facebook and stay connected and um, thank you once again for being a part of this episode we appreciate your time support and the dedication so stay tuned for more exciting episodes and exploring the fascinating world of neuropsychology and emotional well-being until next time take care and keep exploring the depths of the human mind thank you so much